Well, hello, everybody. This is Christian Capel alongside Danny O'Neill bringing you episode eight of Say Who, Say Pod. We could call this uh, the Kalen DeBoer episode, uh, but Jake Hayner went ahead and, and made himself a storyline yesterday by entering the transfer portal and uh, potentially... The transfer portal! Oh, that's a better that's a better sound effect. That's a better sound effect. Before, I got... Before th- before the next episode, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna weaponize that. Like yes. I'm gonna get that for our our disposal, and we'll have our first sound effect of "Say Who Say Pod." It would be an honor, and I think it's a fitting one, and probably one we'll be using quite a bit. Um, not just not just over uh, the next weeks and months and, and years, but you know maybe over the next several days. It seems like um, there's there's been some rumblings of, of maybe another player coming from Fresno State and we can get into that but um, Danny what, what, what do you think of Kalen DeBoer I think um, it was not a surprise by the time he was named head coach he'd been a name in the mix from the beginning when we last sat down to, to record one of these and he was one of six names that we'd kind of talked about as being most connected to the job um, a lot of people I think by the time they announced this thing were, were pretty familiar with him but um, getting to see him speak for the first time and and talk about being Washington's new coach. What were kind of your first impressions? He successfully executed the winning first press conference, which really is is a pretty low bar. Who was the like, last coach to lose a press conference? Well, Jim Tom Sula. I don't know if you remember oh, the 49ers replacement. <laughs> yeah, no, I do. I do. <laughs> he was. He gets up there, he's being asked, like, well, throw a name out there. He's like, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> like, how can you lose this press conference? Uh, he's he looked the part, right? And I always get torn this time of year because I, I was, I'm legitimately excited. Like everything he said sounded good, but we don't really know. Like I'm less excited for Kalen DeBoer than I was when they introduced Jimmy Lake as the new head coach. But we saw how the Jimmy Lake era transpired, and to me, the lesson there is that. You really don't know. Like, you don't know how these things are going to work out. I think Kalen DeBoer is a totally fine hire. I, I, I don't, I think Matt Campbell would have been a better, a, a better candidate. He was a strong, but I don't think there's any reason to think that Matt Campbell is going to leave Iowa State for Washington. It, among the gettable guys, like, yeah, I, I can see this working, man. I can totally see this working. I like the fact that he has had proven offensive improvement at each coaching stop he's had. And there's a pretty strong body of work there. There's a pretty lengthy number of jobs where he's taken and shown demonstrable improvement at a variety of different levels on offense. That's great. As far as recruiting, anybody who tells me they know how he's going to recruit, I I think that's a shot in the dark at this point because he hasn't been in that many places for that long. Like you can't sit there and say, oh man, and and he wasn't recruiting at a place that was in a power five conference. So I'm I'm happy he said all the right things. He has shown no indication that he's unprepared for this. It's still a huge leap of faith. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and I, I think there's nothing to suggest that he can't do this job at a really high level. You know, I, I don't think in talking to people who are, are familiar with him and kind of doing my own research and, you know, all the, all the people saying all the, you know, all the right things about, you know, how promising he is and, what a great leader he is and you know how that maybe this could be kind of the under the radar hire of the cycle compared to, you know, the big, the big splash hires at USC and LSU. Um, you, you don't hear anything that makes you th- th- that, that really would constitute a red flag, you know, I, but then you think back two years ago and, and did you hear anything like that about Jimmy Lake? And, and then, you know, immediately afterward, it was just kind of red flag after red flag. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, they're getting someone who knows who he is and knows mm-hmm. what it means to run a program. I, I think people kind of want to poo-poo the NAIA experience, and yeah, obviously, running an NAIA program is nothing like it's nothing like running Fresno State, and running Fresno State is very, very different than running the program at the University of Washington. But having been a head coach, even even at a lower level, and having done it, I mean probably as good as anyone possibly could. He was 67 and three and won three national Mm -hmm. titles. Um, I think that that teaches you, you know, what it means to have a bunch of people looking to you all the time and having to have the answers and having to have the solutions and having done it at that level means that you put out fires and had your hands on all type of duties that 
you don't have to deal with it at the higher level. That's not to say that um, the job at the University of Washington isn't a lot harder because it is, but um, somebody who's been a head coach at the NAIA level and and you know enormously successful at that level for five seasons before kind of climbing the ladder as a coordinator and and going up a level, up a level, up a level until finally becoming a power five head coach. You know, it it says that that they've kind of got a baseline for what it means to be a leader and what it means to handle all the responsibilities of a program. And then he went out and got a bunch of experience running offense at different levels, coaching different caliber of athletes, increasingly better, increasingly better. He did it for one year in the big 10. So he kind of, you know, he kind of knows mm-hmm. what, what that looks like at least, um, you know, everybody wants to hire a, a, a coach with a decade of power five head coaching experience, you know, Matt Campbell had been a head coach for, I think, 10 years total and, and six at Iowa State, I believe. So that, you know, I, I think that that would have been more ideal if you're really just looking for, you know, who's who's the most established head coach you can find. Um, but everything about Kalen DeBoer, to me, signals somebody who knows what his leadership style is, knows what he means when he says he wants to build a winning culture, um, knows the type of traits he's looking for, you know, knows what kind of staff he wants around him. He's been very, um, very particular about hiring guys he's had connections to. And he obviously thinks really highly of Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator there who called plays the last two years, who it, it seems he's almost certain to bring with him. So I, I, I think there was a lot to like. Um, I thought one thing that struck me is he, he definitely comes across like a football coach, you know, and, and he, he said something that, that kind of stood out was that he understands that it is a CEO role, but he doesn't view himself Mm -hmm. as a CEO. He wants to be hands-on. He made clear, like, look, whether I call the plays or not, I'm going to be really involved in the offense. You know, I'm going to be really involved in the defense. I'm, I'm going to be in the meetings. You know, I want to know what's going on. I, I really, really care and am passionate about the football part of this. Um, And I think, I thought that was interesting. And, And also, you know, you could tell that, he he went into that thing yesterday wanting to stress just how important recruiting was and and maybe allay any any fears or concerns as to the, to whatever degree he could that you know hey they they're they're going to really work their asses off on the recruiting trail and he's going to put together a staff with that in mind first and foremost he has to you mentioned i thought when you pointed to the NAIA experience and you said leader to me his success at the NAIA level demonstrates his leadership, and it shows that guys respond to to what he's saying, and that he installs he has a framework for how his team plays that's successful. He's a good leader. I don't think it tells you anything about how he's going to recruit at the University of Washington. And no. that and between those two things, those are two. I'm not. I don't know if they're fifty fifty, but they're they're pretty damn close. So, yeah, he's going to tell us all of the right things about how he's going to recruit. We'll see. We'll see how that pans out. And that doesn't entirely depend upon him. I mean, there's there's a lot of things at play right now in the conference. Lincoln Riley's entrance at USC. I mean, basically, USC had seeded what should be one of the fundamental talent advantages in the country by having Clay, by having Helton there. And now you've got a guy who was already recruiting in Southern California at Oklahoma. Like we'll see, we'll see how how it balances. He's he's got some ground to make up in recruiting, but yeah, I, I don't. My questions about Kalen DeBoer are primarily about recruiting, not about his leadership. And and we'll see. And with with Jimmy Lake, I felt pretty good about his leadership, and it turned out to be terrible. Like it turned out like he could recruit and develop defensive backs, full stop. It didn't yeah. go much beyond that. And so so you get you you get to a point now where okay, it's gonna turn over. I like the direction. I, I like the fact that it's going to be an offensive oriented approach. We'll see. Is, is Jake Hayner coming here? Is he really gonna transfer back to the University of Washington? Is are, are we about to watch that? It's it sounds like it's a strong possibility. He did um That'd be weird, man. That'd be so weird. He did give an interview to two four seven sports today I saw where he said it's not a done deal yet and he's hearing from a few different teams and um you Hold know I, that website's called two four seven. Two four seven sports, yeah. It's not referred to as twenty four seven? Maybe it is. <laughs> I it, it probably should be. I perhaps I'm misbranding them. 
No, 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 no. I, I prefer to call it two four seven. Apartment that cracks me up. We could I go two. Thought of it that way. Two forty seven. Two forty seven. Two. Two hundred and forty seven sports Yeah. Uh, um, it, anyway, he he's, he said to them, "It's not a done deal yet," but did did. Con- God, concede weird. that yes, Washington is a strong possibility. If I'm, he's coming here, he's going to play, right? Like well, he's not coming here and not going to play. Oh yeah, I mean, there's, you know, his he's he would be transferring to play for his previous coach, Dang, who I'm, you know, that'd be I weird. I'm curious to see how the waiver process plays out with that because on paper he shouldn't be immediately eligible for the one-time transfer exception. If you've transferred before, even if it was before this new era where you don't have to sit out and you sat out when you transferred, which he did in 2019, um, you're not eligible to be for, for the one-time exception where you can play right away at your new school. But there is always the waiver process. And if he's going in the portal, I got to believe that someone's given him some kind of indication that 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 waiver will go his way. I don't know what the grounds would be for his for his appeal or, you know, when oh, they wait, wait, how about this? How about this? The NCAA has no authority over anything anymore. Yeah, I think is that, is that a good grounds for an appeal? Like you guys, you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. So you just OK everything. Okay? Yeah, I think that's on, how it's going to go. You just OK stuff now. I, I think on the petition, uh, they're just going to write. Come on. Yeah, just, yeah, that'll be the end of it. You, like, you what you're gonna right? you're gonna not let me play? Like, come come on, yeah, come on. We're, this is you know this is the Wild West. Like, deal with it. I'm I'm transferring. I'm gonna be eligible. So I, you know that there's a maybe there's a process there. I I kind of thought Sam Hewitt's gonna not play another year. He's gonna sit for another year. No, that's the yeah. That's really? the that's the big question. Um, I you know I wouldn't be surprised if Kalen DeBoer watched that Apple Cup and thought okay like this is a promising young guy big recruit obviously he's talented but if Jake Hayner wants to come to Washington I I wouldn't I just wouldn't be shocked if Kalen DeBoer thought that was their best chance to win in 2022 I don't know that it definitely is but if he's willing to take him and yeah and accept the politics around that and what it does to the quarterback room I gotta think that's what he believes I, I would I would agree with you. So I'll, I'll be interested. I'm going to reserve judgment until we see how it plays out. I like Jake Hayner a lot. I like Jake Hayner when he was a member of the University of Washington. I was bummed when he transferred. I'm not shocked at the success he had at Fresno State. But you're asking me, is he going to be an above-average Pac-12 quarterback? I don't know about that, man. I don't know about that. I think it's... Um... Washington fans can sell themselves on the idea that, you know, he was – everybody saw what he did, in, especially in the fourth quarter against UCLA um, and, yeah, and helping them true. win that that's game. That's good. The numbers he put up. And, he, you know, he had him – he gave him a, sh- a chance um, against and he's Oregon. he's going to have two years in this offense. He's going to have two years in this offense. So you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I will just say if that ends up happening, if Jay Kaner ends up, it's been a completely wasted 2021 for poor Sam Heward. Like he he should have he should have stayed at Kennedy High School. He should have gone and played at an East Coast prep school because in fact, 2021 might have been a net loss for poor Sam Heward through no fault of his own because of how terrible that school was. The program was that year. It does maybe put a little bit of a different perspective around their decision to redshirt him. Because imagine if they hadn't. And I guess the argument could be made, well, if you bring... It wouldn't have been worse. It if, wouldn't have been worse than what we saw, would it? It wouldn't have been better. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. I I mean, you're probably right, because he looked overwhelmed. It did not look good in the Apple Cup. But I felt like that was, hey, you know what? Now that the bag of poop is thoroughly rain-sodden <laughs> and the bottom's about to drop off, like, we know that this bag is not going to hold up the structural integrity of this. Like, it's been thoroughly, we've set it on fire, we've stomped it around, we've dunked it in water. Here, you hold it, Sam. Oh, no! All the poop <laughs> fell on you! Oh, un- unfortunate. I guess you weren't ready to hold it. I guess you weren't ready to hold that bag of poop, weren't you? It's like, well, I mean, you just put it through the ringer for three and a half months, and they're like, here, you take it at the end. Oh, no, it's in your lap. I can I can smell you what like you my just dog said. Poop metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done that? Have you ever picked up the bag of poop? Like, did you? Do people still have bags of poop? When we cleaned up after our poor little Springer Spaniel named Molly, like we would put it 
it's some. I don't oh know yeah, before, yeah. The poop like, bags. We were environmentally conscious. Yeah, but we put it in a we put it in a, a paper bag, which is a terrible, like absolutely horrendous. Oh, I've just, idea. I've got the little rolls of the the plastic yeah, ones. Yeah, that's exactly how you have it. Like this was before the individual bite sized. Oh, uh, I guess they're not bite sized, <laughs> but no. yeah, it was a, it was a really bad job. Like I remember, like we've got a flaw in our approach here at the O'Neill household. Like we need to go plastic because the paper bag full of poop is a bad idea. I love the direction that this discussion has taken. Yeah, my apologies. My apologies. I steered it straight there, too. <laughs> Although, you know what? Like, if we were going to say, like, metaphors to be conjured, like, dog crap's a pretty good one for 2021. Yeah. Like, it's dog, dog, <laughs> dog crap falling on your lap is a pretty apt metaphor for exactly what we all just experienced. It's it's universal. It doesn't take much explaining. Um, I... I don't know. I'd, I'd be. I would be curious what what Sam Heward's thoughts are on on this. Mm-hmm. I, I he does not strike. See, I so much so much discussion around him and his future. I feel like is based on the the thirty thousand foot landscape of what it means to be a college quarterback in twenty twenty one. And yeah. oh, if he doesn't start right away, he's going to transfer. If he doesn't start next year, he's going to transfer. I think there's a little bit of an an over assumption of Sam Heward's mental fragility going on i think he's a pretty mature guy um who's who's very competitive and not afraid of competition like i don't think he's the type to see the possibility of jake hayner transferring in and thinking oh well i gotta i gotta bounce then like i can't Mm -hmm. there's no way i can compete with him or there you know there's no way i'm gonna i'm gonna sit another year without starting maybe you know they go through spring practice and he he sees it a little differently based on the division of reps i don't know um, it, it is, you know, it, it would be a little bit concerning that the brand new head coach, his very first action, I mean, he's, he's been here for 48 hours or whatever. And already there's reports that his very successful starting quarterback last year, who threw for 38, well, last year, shoot, it's still this year. They still got a bowl game to play for crying out loud. Uh, although Hainer won't be playing in it, obviously. Threw for 3,800 yards and 32 touchdowns, and he's already cool with bringing him within like a day or two of taking the job. You know, what does that, what does that say of his opinion of me? Um, yeah, I could see him having some of those thoughts, but I don't know that it necessarily means, you know, Sam Heward's going to pack up and leave just because now there's another quarterback he's going to have to compete against. Yeah, I mean, he came to a, a school knowing that there was there was a guy in line in front of him in in Dylan Morris who was pretty highly regarded so I, I would agree with that and we don't I think this is especially true for college kids we don't know what they want and no. and and, that, and that's I don't I don't begrudge a player who transfers at all I, I I want I want him to have the experience he wants and and if he's if he would prefer to play right away or he doesn't like the way his past year has been used all of those sort of things. I don't have any hard feelings. And I mean, knowing, knowing Sam's family history with the school, like that, that's, that's another dimension that's added to it. Right. And I, I want, I want him to, to make the choice that he thinks is best for him. We do make too many assumptions about what we think is going to happen. And in today's environment, you've got to pick the place where you're going to, the, the path to play and you looking for pro who knows what he wants. And, and we'll see how it is. It would be it would be really weird if the kid who transferred away so he could have a chance to play ends up transferring back and playing in front of. I mean, Sam's the highest regarded quarterback recruit in in ten years at UW. I mean, is is, is that fair? Like, he's the highest regarded quarterback recruit this that school's had in ten years. Uh, since since like the modern era of rankings, where you know you can compare a, where a kid was ranked in twenty twenty one to where a kid was ranked in two thousand. He's he's by far the most highly regarded. You know, yeah. I, I've obviously, you know, it, it was a different time, but Brock was was kind of in that same that yep. same category. Um, Matt Tuiasosopo was from a rankings perspective, but obviously never made it to campus. Played baseball instead. Um, it, it it is it's it's funny because a big reason that Jake Hayner lost the starting quarterback job, if you just set aside the competition itself and you know, you take Jake at his word, which I think is pretty close to the truth, that it was very even and that it was like splitting hairs in terms of how Jake Hayner and Jacob Eason performed it through spring and camp. Um, you know, I, I think there was a feeling that Washington went with Jacob Eason because he was the local former five-star guy who was six six with a cannon arm and you have to play the upside, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
it would it would be I think it, there would be some redemptive element to losing that battle, transferring because of it, and then coming back to that school two years later to start ahead of somebody who came in with similar accolades, who's not just a local five-star recruit, but who actually came to the school out of high school and is a legacy, you know, and is who's, who's, you know, family history is, is as rich as anybody who's ever played there, you know? So that it, it is, um, it's a, it's a storyline that, that, uh, I, I, it's someone asked me in a mailbag like last week, and I feel like an idiot now. Hey, if they hired Kalen DeBoer, could Jake Hayner transfer back? And I was like, oh, he'd need to get a waiver, and who knows? And no, like that's not. Nah, I kind of laughed. I kind of laughed it off. And it, it is just it's it's amazing that the way college football in 2021 works now that that's that's probably what we're looking at. It'll be funny to see if it happened when you say it like that. That the the guy who lost the quarterback competition because of the big armed local five-star prospect and he ends up coming back to save the program it kind of makes you feel that washington's taken a few steps backward in the past couple years if you didn't know any better christian cable if you didn't if you didn't realize like you you would you would think that that maybe these past two years have been a real setback in the trajectory (laughs) of the program one could get that idea (laughs) hey how was the third quarter light show was it awesome what'd they play oh god i'm trying to remember i thought of you Jeez, did did someone tweet about it? Let me let me see. Yeah, Jacob Thorpe did. Our buddy Jacob Thorpe. Well, but I mean, did somebody did somebody say what the song? Because I I oh I don't know about that. I I I just saw that Thorpe said that it was it was uh, dedicated to me, like it was entertaining me somewhere. uh, This this third quarter light show. Man, I wish I could remember. I forget what the song was, um, but it was not Coldplay. (laughs) I'm confident (laughs) in that assessment. Good Lord. Uh, yeah, and we're actually going to continue to do that. Okay, roll it on out there. I guess we started it. It's organic now. We've declared it organic. I will say um, Washington has, has done a masterful job of, of pivoting everybody just 100 miles past the Apple Cup already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because yes. it, that, it, I, was, it, was, it, it was well planned in that regard. Have you ever seen a less inspired effort from a Washington team in a rivalry yes. game? Oh, not in the rivalry game. Well, I've seen the less inspired effort. Yeah, I mean, seen the less inspired effort. Yes, the the worst, the the least inspired Washington effort I have ever watched, other than the Iowa game, the the Sun Bowl in in 1995, 1995 Sun Bowl, the first game after. But that was, I, I believe, that was Cuervo related. Uh, the the least inspired performance I've ever seen was the Tyrone Willingham's final game, that game at Cal after they lost the Apple Cup. And then went there the the zero twelve game like that yeah. was that was less inspired but yeah no it was it was not real impressive that game should I have been played get, with a running clock yeah I couldn't have even I couldn't even get fired up like people are talking about Delora planting the flag I was like dude if 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 the Huskies aren't going to fight more than they did why should I care like he they earned it like whatever got drilled by twenty seven points you want to plant a flag at midfield go for it knock yourself out. Yeah, I always think it's strange when the losing team gets mad at the way the winning team celebrates. Like yeah, it's just such exactly. a, it's such a. Like, it, I want them to be more laid back about it. No, I want them to think it, this is the the height of their achievement, which it very well might be for all, all of their entire lives. That's fine. Go nuts. Yeah, knock I just, yourself out. I I uh, you know I think taunting should be legal. I think I don't think there should be any penalties on any kind of celebration. And I think if the winning team in a rivalry game uh, wants to plant a flag on their opponent's field while their fans storm it as if it's their own, uh, I'm all for it. I think that makes sports fun, and it's college football, and it's it's supposed to be fun. And you know, if it creates bad blood, like that's even better. You know, it's a rivalry. It's that's that's how it's supposed to go. So I, I don't know. I mean, just uh, I I thought it was. I frankly thought it was a cool moment. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm obviously I, I, I'm trained to look at these things objectively, and I'm not. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. But 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 even but even you agree. So maybe yeah. You know, if people out there are upset about it, you could you should maybe take your cues from from Danny more so than my my boring yeah, you, neutral. Yeah. Self, use but. use a grappling hook and get over yourself. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, when Baker Mayfield was at Oklahoma, they went to Ohio State, right? And he that's the first time I can remember a flag being planted midfield. And then I think it was last season. Uh, I think the Niners were drilling the Browns and Nick Bosa. I always get my Bosa's confused, but it's the Bosa that's on San Francisco. He planted the flag 
like like mimed pl- planting a flag after he sacked him. And somebody asked Baker Mayfield about it after the game. And he's like, I didn't see any. He was like, well, he pretend like he was planting the flag. And Baker Mayfield just goes, good for him. <laughs> so, like what I, I cannot remember a player that I've turned on like turned on more where I, I really like Baker Mayfield's approach. I don't know if he's a very good quarterback, and I think there's a, a lot of evidence to point to the fact that he's just good enough to get you fired and he's not a real franchise quarterback, but I love the approach he has. Like I love his mentality. And that was one of them. Yeah, good for him. <laughs> yeah. We what, what do you want me to do? Get mad? Like, no, yeah, okay. You made a play. Just celebrate. Go ahead. Go nuts. We need fewer athletes who take themselves ultra seriously all the time. So I'm all for it. One of the, one of the lamest retorts I saw was some people chiding Jaden Delora for like, Oh, Oh, you're going to try to plant a flag in a turf field. Oh, didn't think that one through, huh? And it's like, dude, if that's the best you got, you need to keep that to yourself. Yep. That's correct. (laughs) That's correct. He's waving around his school's flag at midfield of your stadium. And they just won by 27 points. And you don't, you don't get to mock the type of, turf that he's he's celebrating on yeah yeah those are the rules uh does usc's hire of of lincoln riley take any of the the shine off of of kaylin DeBoer for you do you feel like washington lost ground so to speak in this coaching carousel yeah yes but i think that was bound to happen um i i think usc made a hell of a hire and and i think it probably says more about the direction of oklahoma than it does about the appeal of the USC job. But I, I, I think US, USC pulled off a home run. We had talked about like Matt Campbell probably being the best fit down there. And, and my kind of sense is I don't know if that's glamorous enough for USC. And USC went out and that, that hire is not only a big name, but I think that's something that can really fit there. Um, USC is a strange job because people view it as this pedigree powerhouse. And I, I think that's more reputation than reality. Like over the past 30 years, how many really good coaches have they had? There's one, right? Like Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll's it. Yeah. I mean, you get into like Larry Smith, John Robinson, the second tour, Paul Hackett was a disaster. Then you get Pete and then kind of followed all the Pete, the Pete proteges, right? Like Lane Kiffin and then Sark. Pete's Pete's been the one that's made it home. So I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, game's over. Lincoln Riley's going to be able to run this because there's a lot of evidence to point to the fact that that USC job is not nearly as good as people think it is. But that's a big hire. And and I think, I think it fits well. Oklahoma, I'll be interested to see who they end up landing for that because they'll get a good coach. I mean, Oklahoma is a pretty pedigreed and powerful program. And they've also been in a conference where they've kind of been one of only, they've been one of the few heavyweights, right? Like when they were in the big eight, then when they were in the big 12, like those conferences haven't been that, they've always been a kingpin, like one of two or three kingpins has been them. Um, and they're going to the sec and that's going to be different. Like that's they're They're not going to be that anymore. They're going to, they're, they're, they're going to have to swallow a seven win season every now and again. In, in the SEC, and that's how it goes. So I'll, I'll, I'll be interested to see how it goes. The fascinating question I would be, if if Oklahoma beats Oklahoma State, do you still think he makes this jump? Oh, I think so. If he if they if they win Bedlam, so you th- you think this was because that was part of me that wondered. Like I wondered how much of that was he was already probably going to go, and how much of it is like, dude, I just lost Oklahoma State, and now we're going to the SEC, and I just do not want to deal with that. Is is an interesting one. I also like hat tip to him for because if if I remember watching the press conference right, I don't think he was asked about LSU. I think he just brought up LSU and basically is like, "I'm not going to LSU." Like, sure enough, he didn't go to LSU. Yeah, I I think I I think someone was like beginning a question that was that was going to be about his his future, his job status, and he he interrupted to say, "Oh, I'll stop you right there. I'm not going to be the next head coach at LSU." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is a very, a, very savvy move. Fate. Yeah, seriously. And then and then he's like, oh, that happened the next morning. <laughs> yeah, okay, buddy. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, you hammered out that multi-million dollar life-changing deal in the span of you woke up and decided to turn turn over a new leaf and we're going to Southern California. I'm just imagining USC's admins like sitting around a table, you know, their ties unloosened, sleeves rolled up. There's pizza crusts uh, you know, in the middle and... 
they're just like, um, I don't know, Matt Campbell? No. How about Lincoln Riley? It's it's sad. It's like late Saturday night. It's like the first they've thought of any of this, and they call him up, and he's just like, "Oh yeah, sure, yeah, I'll come." I'm sure that's yeah, I'm sure like, that's I'm how it went down. To, I'm waiting for you to ask. I've been waiting <laughs> for you. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Do you think USC vaults up? I I mean, it's it's better than I. There are other guys they they could have hired who I would have said would have been an A hire who were not as good as Lincoln Riley. So, I mean, yeah. I, th- I think they they exceeded what anybody would have thought their ceiling was. I do think, like you just said, I mean, you, you've made the point, and I completely agree about, hey, you know, Pete Carroll's really the only guy who's had USC playing like USC in the last 30 years. I think it's a probably um, a little bit harder than, than people assume. I think there is this assumption that, like, all they needed was the right coach. Lincoln Riley is the right coach. They're going to have top five classes. They're going to be winning 10, 11 games. They're going to be going to the playoff all the time. Certainly that should be the expectation. And like, if they don't immediately start recruiting at a national, you know, top 10 borderline top five level, I'll be surprised because he's a great recruiter and he's already got a foothold in Southern California. Um, but I, I, I do think that it's, it's just, probably a little bit harder to maintain a 10 11 win pace at that school than than people want to believe um you'll always have the talent but uh, i i not to say lincoln riley can't do it i just i and maybe maybe it's i've watched usc struggle for too long to believe that they're just going to dramatically improve overnight um but i i do think it could be a year or two before they really get things humming there I'll be interested to see what he does at quarterback. Like, are they going to maintain? Because, I mean, USC forever has been, like, that's where the best of those Orange County private school kids go. Like, that's that's the that's that's the pipeline. And maybe maybe Lincoln Riley is going to say, like, yep, that's exactly what we're going to do still. But he's he's got some different ideas about offense. I'll, I'll be interested to see how they handle that. I do, I do think they're going to be the offensive firepower that they're going to get at that school is going to be pretty incredible. Like I, I don't, I don't have much of a doubt about the the caliber. And basically, everybody in the Pac-12 got a head start because USC handicapped itself these past few years by continually talking itself into Clay Hilton because he was such a nice guy. He was such a nice guy that they kept doing it. But yeah, I could, I could see it taking a year or two. I, I still think it's, it's good. It's good enough for the Pac-12 that I, I think a school like Washington should be like big picture pleased that USC could be back on the map, so to speak. Like it's, I, I do think it was easy enough for Washington fans for a long time to take for granted that USC was just going to underachieve every year. And that like, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe you'd run into them in the PAC 12 championship game. Cause they, you know, they did play at that at a good enough level to get there a few times, but that you didn't have to worry about them, you know, being this behemoth that, you know, even if if Washington won the North and went ten and two or something like that, well, Al, you're just you're never going to get past USC. You know, like like a Pete Carroll USC program would, you know, would would kind of have that vibe. Um, so if if they get back to those levels, obviously it's it's problematic in terms of you know making the playoff or whatever down the road if if they expand and and all those sort of things. But um, the the Pac-12 needs something to put it back on the national radar, and. You know, Oregon was thought to kind of be that best opportunity and that best chance, and they're the program right now playing closest to that level, but they're not there yet either. They've got all this talent. Um, they kind of didn't they, – they just didn't play like that kind of team this year despite beating Ohio State. And then the loss – They didn't have the quarterback, right? <laughs> no. Yeah, and it just goes to show, you know, how, how good you can be at, at every position. But if you don't have that guy, um, you're just you're, – you're not going to – you're you're not going to be at, in that CFP conversation, um, so we'll see. What 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 do you think about them? The 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 revenge game against Utah, by the way, in the Pac-12 championship. I saw they're only getting three points. Yeah, I I kind of like that fact because it doesn't really matter what Oregon does, right? Like they'll get to go to the Rose Bowl, and that's fine. Um, I would expect Oregon to win that game. I don't I don't think Utah is going to be able to manhandle them for a second straight time. I, I think I think Oregon has too much speed, and they'll they'll figure it out this time. But it would not break my heart to watch them get ragdolled again. Um, that was a pretty in a in a woebegone year. Like that was one of my more satisfying college football games to watch was Utah just punking them because it was it was just 
yeah, big boy football, and they got they got tossed around. Um, Oregon's also, and there was a fairly fairly sizable fight in the Oregon State game. Like Oregon's Oregon appears to have some chippiness about uh, their guys on the edge, whether it's the cornerbacks or the wide receivers. So I I, I certainly would not mind uh, watching the take no guff fighting winning Winninghams uh, lay the wood to them once again. That's an interesting coaching situation too. I feel like there's more speculation than usual that that he might hang it up sooner rather than later. I I'll believe it when I see it, man. Like that dude, and it's not that dude's a hell of a coach. Wait, he's the longest tenured coach of a Power Five school now, right? Uh, I don't know that, but I I, I believe, I believe it. he's been there he a long is. time. I believe I believe he is the longest tenured coach at one of the Power Five programs. And he's just such a mountain of a dude. I I kind of believe he's going to coach for another twenty years. He certainly looks like he could, <laughs> but he's been, he's he's been there for a while. There, Utah might be the single most consistent program in the in the conference in terms of both the playing style and and the success rate. Like you kind of know exactly what you're going to get from them is that they are going to be an above average team that's not quite not quite good enough to be into that caliber of college football playoff conversation but is a threat to win the conference each and every year because of how f- they're so freaking tough they're a tough team they're the toughest team in the in, in the conference on a year in year out basis they are and but it it i feel like it's it, it's easy to kind of overlook them as a conference favorite because they don't they don't have the recruiting stats. They right. They don't yeah. have the recruiting rankings. And they he he's gone out and gotten actually like some pretty highly rated guys in their last couple of classes. He's kind of elevated that a little bit. They do great um, with junior college guys. They've gotten some yes. good some good transfers. Man, how is it that they always have like two stud running backs? No matter like no matter what, they always find these guys who are just really physical, really tough, run with great vision. Like no matter what, no matter where they come from, what their rankings are, whatever their recruiting background was, like they just always have really good running backs. Is that just like, do they coach the hell out of that position? Do they? My belief is they've got some sort of terror dome set up in the <laughs> Wasatch Mountains. Like two men enter, one man leaves, and over like the the first two years in the program, they they winnow a collection of like thirty some running backs down to four that are just ruthless gladiator style, like take all comers. And that's how they do it. Like there's some sort of, I don't know whether it's exaggerated Oklahoma drills. Like they've got some process out there in the hinterlands that they've perfected to, to, to develop. Cause they are, they're incredibly tough and they're never, they're never burners, right? Like it's never that sort of scat back style. They're all just like, dude, I'm going to run between the ta- the tackles and I'm going to absolutely bludgeon you. So by the third quarter, you are so sick of tackling me. You're just going to stop. You're just going to stop tackling. It's also weird to think because I, I think of Utah and Colorado as the two colonies. Like there's the main Pac-10 and then there's the two colonies. And the myself from 25, 30 years ago would be shocked to know that Utah runs laps around Colorado. Like between those, like Colorado was the borderline national power. I mean, they played, they won a national champion, or share of a national championship. And now they're just, they're just like Utah's weaker, younger sibling. Like the team that Utah, <laughs> hey, is, is Utah going to bring? No, Utah's going to put Colorado in the bag, shake them up, take them to wherever they want, pick them up out of the bag, whoop on them for a good three hours, put them back in the bag and carry them back over to Boulder and drop them off. Uh, I think the final step of that terror dome, like once you've emerged as the top guy, you, you then have to bear wrestle Kyle Whittingham and <laughs> you don't have to beat him. Um, you can't give most, up cause most guys probably can't, you just have to do it and like take your loss and it's That's just, right. yeah, it's just acknowledged right. that like, well, it's Kyle Whittingham. You know, you've got to spend five minutes in his full Nelson without quitting. <laughs> It's just, you just got to, can you take it? Are you going to give up? No, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to win, but I'm not going to quit. Like, all right, you're good enough. You're good enough for Utah football, son. <laughs> I, I want to read you this quote um, 
because I thought of you as soon as he said it, because I, I know how fond you were. Did, of... did he say this is the single stupidest thing I've ever seen at a college football game is the third quarter light show at Husky Stadium? <laughs> was, is that the quote? <laughs> no, I, God, I wish I'd asked him. <laughs> Do you have a flashlight on your on your phone? <laughs> Coach. <laughs> and they do this thing out there with their flashlights <laughs> on their cell phones. It's so darn cool, man. Kalen uh, DeBoer was was talking about um, Chris Peterson, and so he he had a phone conversation with him a few days ago as he was kind of looking at this job, and he said he'd never he'd never talked to him before, but he'd kind of admired him from afar. Um, and he said, well, you know, when he was the head coach at Sioux Falls, Boise State often played on weeknights. Um, during Chris Peterson's time there. And so he would watch their games on Friday nights. He said, a lot of his Friday night games being on TV, I stole a lot of things with shifting and motioning and dressing up plays and still keeping it simple for us. And I realize this is probably very conflicting for you because I've heard you speak in, in not so fond terms of all of the shifting and motioning from Chris Peterson's offense, but Kalen DeBoer's offenses have always been really good. So don't you, Danny O'Neill, have to adopt the, the the love for shifting and motioning and dressing things up pre-snap sometimes we evolve as human beings <laughs> and there are times where you 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 are certain you want something you are certain that the path to progress includes getting away from something or trying something else and then you find out you find out better and I would say that I am 100% reformed because I used to complain nonstop about the amount of bells and whistles that Chris Peterson put on his offense. And to think that that was a huge part of the problem is that they just did too much pre-snap. There was too much movement, too many formations, and too many different things to disguise stuff, and it got in the way. And I wanted a simple, back to the basics. I thought that there was a room for, uh, we're good enough to just do what we want to do here. And then I saw John Donovan's offense. <laughs> and when you go through something like that, you decide never again. So I completely, I vow, I vow never to complain about the amount of motion that, that Washington's offense uses. I vow not to complain about the substitution packages or the different, the, the different things. I promise after watching what I did this previous year and realizing that in some ways I got exactly what I wanted and it turned out to be a bag full of dog poop that I'm not going to order. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to turn that over and I'm going to say, you do as much motioning as you want. Kalen DeBoer, you want to have 16 different substitution packages that you guys have to coordinate using three different people. And there's four guys on the sidelines holding up different placards that have an elephant, a clown and some sort of three ring circus. You do it, whatever you want to do, just so long as the John is unclogged and I don't have to watch that John Donovan. Hey, you know what? On fourth and one, we're either going to run between the tackles or we're going to run our Sean McGrew wildcat, or we're going to quarterback sneak it. As long as I don't have, I'm not going to complain. They had issues under John Donovan with post snap motion. (laughs) They, it was pre-snap. I thought they looked great, but after the snap, um, in terms of where yeah. where guys were moving and and which of them did or didn't have the football in their hands, I think that was uh, that was yeah, the you problem. Know what? In retrospect, I take back everything I said about Bush Hamden. <laughs> <laughs> I do, honest to God, hundred percent. Like all of that, and I felt very strongly about it. But I also knew that there wasn't anything Bush Hamden was doing that Chris Peterson wasn't signing off on. I I take. All of that back because, God, I saw how bad it can really be. Were you a Jonathan Smith guy? No, no. I've always been the Tedford guy. I've always been the, you know, that 2016 season when Tedford was the consultant. They were awfully good. So I've I've been guilty of the hating on the offensive coordinator. I, I, I am. And, and now I finally found out one what truly – I found out what true darkness is. Like I discovered how bad it can be. And I feel kind of silly for all my petty little complaints before. This is not at all to to take away from Jeff Tedford's contributions to that team, whatever they might have been. And uh, his track record speaks for itself. He's a great offensive coach. But I'm not sure any coach um, who has – I'm not sure there's ever been a coach spend 
less amount of time in a program yep. and generate more respect among the fan base than Jeff Tedford. He was yep. there for, for what, nine months, if that, as an analyst. And he didn't even finish the season. Couldn't talk to players directly, right? Like, he, as a consultant, no, he, he you can't instruct on the field? He couldn't coach the players. Yeah, yeah. And, and yet, yeah. like, Husky <laughs> fans just love him. Yeah, um, not and, Husky fans. Me, I yeah. love him. <laughs> <laughs> you're what? You're one of legions, though. I am. I am. I'm leading. The, I'm. I, I was leading the parade, and I'd be like, you know, all this Chris Peterson stuff. He hasn't looked as good since Jeff Tedford got out of here. But yeah, no, I, I've, I've, I've seen, I've seen true darkness. <laughs> and that's another factor with Kalen DeBoer. I mean, they, they really, you know, they really played that up. That hey, he's he's already consulted Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson was high on him, so there was mutual respect there. And Jeff Tedford is one of his, you know, he, he, he called him, you know, a, a really important mentor in his life. He worked for him for two years as offensive coordinator, obviously. And um, Tedford's opinion is still really well respected among UW's administration. So um, he, I think they had to hire somebody with a track record of offensive success. Yeah. I agree um, with you. Whether it was someone who'd actually been a coordinator or somebody who'd been a head coach and had, a coordinator in their employ who had been successful, somebody with an offensive vision who people could, you know, you could go look up Fresno state from last year and see, this is what Kalen DeBoer's offense looks like. You couldn't do that with John Donovan. Nobody knew, nobody had any yeah. idea. What's what is a Jimmy Lake offense? Well, here's the guy running it. Well, what's his offense? Uh, here's Penn state from 2015, but Oh, Oh God. Oh God. No, turn that off. Turn that off. Don't watch that. Don't watch that. So what about the Jaguars running backs performance when he was in charge of them? Well, you'd have to put that Danny on the Jaguars running backs coach, which John Donovan was not. So (laughs) just the quality control, dude. um, Unbelievable. Poor John Donovan. He's just, he's catching. No, 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 that's not the correct adjective (laughs) of all the different adjectives. That dude's not poor. That dude, that dude robbed money for two years and he's probably still getting paid. Don't you think he kind of, he, 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 maybe walked into a situation that he didn't have a full appraisal of though. It's not his fault that he got hired to a job that he was totally ill-equipped for. That doesn't mean I can't hate him. <laughs> well, I can't stop. I can't stop you. <laughs> yeah, I, su- I, mean, I certainly I mean, don't. You're right. But... You're right. You're right. Yeah. He walked into a bear trap, but it's also like he applied for the job. Like he sat there and raised your hand. Like, have you ever, have you ever like gotten a job that you weren't ready for? And and then and then it stinks, man. It stinks, but that's kind of on you. Like you you raised your hand and said nobody forced you to become the Washington offensive coordinator. Like that was that was that was a choice. You opted into it. Like you so yeah, yeah, you bear you bear you bear some of the weight there. It's not your fault you got hired, but you don't try and tell me you're some victim in this whole thing. Oh, I just didn't know what was gonna happen. No! You stunk. You stunk out loud. Poor John Donovan. <laughs> You know, I I'd say like I I like John Donovan. In my you know we our, our experiences with him were pretty limited. He seems like uh, a, a nice guy. I think he knows football. Um, but yeah, the the coordinator thing did not uh, did not work out real well. Have you have never you, met the man and never want to? <laughs> have you watched much um, of Fresno State? Like just did, I don't know if you saw them last season or if you watched the UCLA I, game or whatever. But I watched the UCLA game and then I saw I must have seen part of the. It was. I must have seen part of their Oregon game because the Oregon game was pretty close. Was that the same day as the Montana game? Mm, I think so. I think it was. So I think I watched part of that game as well. And I did watch them when Tedford was there. I've always had a passing interest in Fresno State. Uh, it's where Dilfer went, and Dilfer went to my high school. So okay. I've always I've always kept up with them. I liked them when they had Pat Hill there. Was that was the head coach? David Carr was the quarterback. So I, I'm I'm fairly familiar with with Fresno State's overall program and approach. Um, I did I thought that his style of football is really well suited to the kind of players that Fresno State gets, which is they're going to have some defensive players that absolutely run around and crush people, and you're going to get some speed there. You're you're going to struggle. Like Fresno State was never all of that conducive to having a dominant, consistent running approach. Like it's generally, and maybe that's some of the conference that they play into. I felt that they were best when they had speed on the outside and somebody who could sling it a little bit. Um, 
but I mean, that's also kind of the caliber of player that they they had with both cars being there. Um, Logan Mankins came from there. I'm trying to think of other bigger name offensive linemen, but I've generally thought of them as a, as a program that has better skill position players than more the meat and potatoes approach. Yeah, it's, I know, I think we talked um, last week or, or a prior episode about how it's, you know, generally maybe like a top five, top seven type of group of five program. I know like when I was growing up and, Pat Hill was the coach there and, you know, you had the the cars and everything and they were known as, you know, kind of this real fun pass happy team to watch out West and kind of a thorn in the side. If, if they were on your schedule, I think Washington played, played them in like back to back years, I want to say. And did they lose? Yeah. I think they got beat one of those times too. They, they definitely lost like one of them um, at home. I think it was at home. I think Curtis Williams brother was on that team. And I think um, they won they by a, I want to say they beat them by like a single point thanks to a missed PAT or something like that. Um, they, so this used to be the reputation about Fresno state and I'm not as up on, on this, but especially the Pat Hill time that there was a lot of griping from other West coast programs because Fresno state could ac- accept academic non-qualifiers Whereas the Pac-12, or I think then it was the Pac-10, had stopped allowing schools to, to let in guys who either because of the grades or the test scores were, were non-qualifiers. And, and Fresno State did. And there was a lot of complaining about that, which I always thought was hilarious. Like, there's nothing like coaches whining about not being able to get kids into school. It cracks me up to no end because I think it's so disingenuous and phony. But I, I've always, I mean... Fresno State is it's 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 kind of like being a school from Texas. They're Fresno State's I would say is the best non-Pac-12 program in the state of California. And so state with a ton of athletic talent. So you actually get a pretty good be, being in that category of the best non-Pac-12 or non-Pacific Coast conference school is it, it gives you a really good edge in, in recruiting and I thought they used it pretty effectively. You're going to get an angry letter from Brady Hoke for saying that. Oh, why? San Diego State? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think – I think I think Fresno State's the better program. Am I wrong? I mean, San Diego State's produced really good teams too, and, may, and maybe I am. But I, I've i always thought of Fresno State as the next best. Uh, yeah, I'd have to look at it long term. I don't know how they stack up record-wise over like the last 25 years or whatever. I just know San Diego State's been been pretty good recently. They're having a, a great season this year, obviously, and they've, they've had a couple uh, – real good running backs the last few years. And I know they've been kind of a tough out for power five teams that have played them, but yeah, I mean, I I think it's kind of funny. Like Husky fans got this, this definite sense of like Boise fatigue over the years mm-hmm. and that, you know, Chris Peterson came from Boise and his whole staff came from Boise. And it seemed like they played Boise in a bowl game, like every other year. And, you know, I think by the, the end of his tenure there, People were just, you know, there were some people who were kind of ready to just move on from that. Like, you know, they didn't want the University of Washington associated with this this perceived, you know, smaller brand that's out in the Mountain West. And I I wonder if there's going to come a point where they, they get to that point with Fresno State, you know, because like obviously this is going to be a Fresno heavy staff and you're going to be hearing about Fresno a lot over the next couple of years because they just hired a head coach from there. And, you know, not, I, you know that's to say nothing of, of, you know, what that might mean for whether they're going to be successful or, or Kalen DeBoer's credentials or abilities or anything. I can just already kind of sense them getting to that point because it's another, another Mountain West school and, you know, another, another local program that you know, already, there's going to be some overlap just because they're kind of in the same region. So that's interesting. And that, that was one thing that, that Kalen DeBoer said he and Chris Peterson talked about was making the move from the Mountain West to the Pac-12. And I thought it was interesting that, he said they. He also was asking him about recruiting, and kind of um, you know obviously he knows the landscape and and the footprint like on the West Coast generally. But he wanted to know from Peterson from from what I gathered based on his response, like what other regions Washington had name recognition in, and like what what kind of other parts of the country Chris Peterson felt like could be exploited. Um, and I, you know, the really the only the only response outside the Pac-12 geographic footprint would be Texas because that's mm-hmm. really the only state where Washington's devoted resources and really tried to, like, make themselves a thing outside of the Pacific and Mountain time zone. So 
um, I wouldn't be surprised to to see them continue to to devote resources there. Let's wind the clock back back to when we got the three kids from that Florida high school when Rich Alexis, the kicker, John yep. Anderson, and 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 Et came out here. Was that Pope John? Do that? Pope John Paul the second high school. That's correct. That's correct. Get going back there. That, that didn't turn out so bad for Washington. Although Et didn't turn out to be quite as great as everybody thought he was going to be. He didn't. But he's one. If you if you go back and look at his career stats and you just like cover yeah. up who he was, you'd be like, well, that was a pretty good yeah. college receiver and punt returner. Yeah, he was. Yeah, but it, it was he and he and Reggie Williams were supposed to be one two, and Reggie was just so dominant. Reggie was so much better. Reggie, was, I mean, Reggie's one of my favorite college football players ever to watch. Will Washington win a conference championship in the next five years? Yeah, I think they will. But I'm a homer. Like, don't trust me. Like, I thought that I I I thought that with Jimmy Lake, like they, they was going to take the next level. I was I was pumped to get rid of all the motion. I did all the bells and whistles, Christian. What the hell do I know? Is there a throw the damn ball hat somewhere in <laughs> Kaylin DeBoer's wardrobe? Oh, do we do we have any indication on on who might be leaving? Who might be who might be coming uh, to Washington? We've talked about Hainer. Are there are there any other flares out there, Christian? That I need to be watching for it's guys sh- departing. Uh, you talking about players or? Yes. Yeah, so there, I, there was some chatter um, on on Twitter yesterday that uh, a receiver from Fresno State, Jalen Cropper, um, was considering entering the portal. But then I think he, there was another report. No, what, was your, what was your what was your transfer portal sound effect? <laughs> yeah, it's better. You got, it's got the electric tints, the the electricity to it. Yeah. <laughs> He caught 76 passes for 827 yards and 11 touchdowns last year. Um, but I, I think there was another report that he hadn't yet gone in. So that's one to to keep an eye on, certainly. Um, and, you know, will all these guys who leave Fresno State end up at Washington? Probably not. But, you know, the two of their best players and, you know, guys who were really big impact for them last year, if, if they've got the opportunity, you would think that would be a – uh, a pretty favorable destination for them as long as Washington has, has the spots. So um, yeah, you could see not just on the coaching staff, but, but on the roster too, some, uh, some Fresno state influence in the, in the near future for Washington. So I, I don't, I don't know. Is that, um, do you, do you like the idea of a new head coach basically identifying, Hey, here's, here's the guys that I like the most and I'm going to do what I can to make sure that that they've got a spot at Washington if if they want to leave Fresno State, um, or, or or is there something about that that rubs you the wrong way? It doesn't rub me the wrong way. I wonder I wonder how effective that is because I would think that one of the benefits for Kalen DeBoer is now he is going to be able to recruit a different a different caliber of athlete, right? Like that's one of the hopes is that when you move up, you are going to be able to. You are going to be able to get, but guys that he knows thrive in his program or his approach and his system. Hell yeah. Bring them aboard. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't rub me the wrong way at all. I, I don't, I don't want it to be a situation where the tie goes to the guy that I brought here because, but, but yeah, if, 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 if his connection to a player means that that player wants to follow him, I think those are really positive signs, aren't they? Yeah, you would think so. Um, we've talked basically all season about, you know, the need to, to recruit your own roster and convince especially skill position players, especially wide receivers, why they should stick around. I think that Washington has given those guys reason to stay through the spring based on Kalen DeBoer's offensive background and the system that he runs. Um, but yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Like I would agree that especially, and I saw, I saw Bynum's already indicated that he's, he's, he's planning to stick around or at least, I don't know how much to read into the Twitter comments, but it sounded it sounded positive. In no, he did. He I, was I cert- he clarified. He did. That's exactly what he meant that he was staying at Washington, which is great. And and again, I don't I don't begrudge any kid that decides that it's he'd he'd be better off starting somewhere else or moving somewhere else at all. But yeah, I think the hope is especially those wide receivers because I think there's I think Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillian. Jalen McMillan are two guys that could play at any program in the country. I, th- I think they they would be on the field for any team in the, in the country, and and you hope to have them stick. Can I, can I ask you about the corners? Do you think McDuffie and Kyler Gordon? Do you think 
both are back, one is back, or neither's back. Oh, I think they're both gone, gone, gone. gone. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 ex- I don't see how either of them has anything to gain by coming back. Especially Trent McDuffie. I mean, he was. I think he was considered a borderline first round talent before the season, and in spite of everything, I, I think he played really, really well. Um, I love how Gordon plays too. I know McDuffie's considered the more sound of the two corners. I, I think Gordon's a ball hawk. Like yeah, I, the, the his his how many times he was in there and close to forcing fumbles or forcing fumbles. I love the way Gordon plays. You know, you don't think of the the most elite talent on the roster as being in in the running for like a most improved type award, but I Kyler Gordon might have been the most improved player on the team. He didn't yeah. he didn't start last year. Even in that short 2020 season, I mean, he was still their sixth guy. I think he started the Stanford game. By their fourth game, um, they'd they'd put him in the starting lineup. But you know, he he still had two corners ahead of him last year. They they had Keith Taylor and Trent McDuffie were their starters, and Elijah Molden was playing nickel, and he still could not get in the lineup. And then this year, he he wasn't just he wasn't just a starter. He was a, an impact player. I mean, the way that. Not just the way that he covered, and he got a lot better in man coverage. He made plays on the ball. He intercepted passes. He crashed the backfield. I mean, the way he the way he filled when he had an opportunity to make a tackle for loss and um, doing stuff at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I just thought he was he was really lights out for them. And and you know what that means is he put together a whole season of tape that NFL scouts are going to look at and and say, yeah, this guy this guy is an NFL DB right now. So um, I yeah, I would be absolutely shocked if either of those guys return to school next year yeah the one thing when we get done here i'm going to spend some time looking through the fresno state roster and see if we can find some speed linebacker again (laughs) maybe maybe middle linebacker runs a good four four five four five four somewhere in that vicinity like choose nails spits spits broken glass like a real a, a real thumper there at middle linebacker maybe i'll go shopping you're looking for a character from the program is what you're saying yeah yes exactly that's exactly what i'd like that movie came out in 1993 i don't know i don't know i don't know i if saw they... that in the theater the first year that i was at the university of washington i love that that is an underrated football movie like football People talk about football's football's generated over the past. I would argue over the past thirty years, football has generated better overall movies than baseball. Like we've had better football movies than baseball, like Varsity Blues, The Program, any given Sunday's overall pretty garbage film. But the Al Pacino, "There's inches all around us," <laughs> that speech is one of the better pregame speeches. Give me an inch, they're all around us. Like when he goes full scent of a woman on the inches, like yeah, yeah, I, 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 I can get beyond. I like draft day. Like draft day is the <laughs> stupidest premise for a movie. I was like, I that that was that was not the worst two hours I've ever spent on a film. Draft day was draft day was solid. Uh, also, football movies are way more conducive to the use of uh, the song "Spirit in the Sky." <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which seems yeah. to. Uh, seems to show up in all of them or maybe it's just remember the titans and i've seen it so many times that it feels like it's in every football movie i don't know but i yeah i I do i do think there are better football movies than than although okay football movies often get wrong though the actual mechanics of football like the football scenes are like "Mm, that doesn't look like football to me that's generally true. There's way too many helicopter hits, like where the guy's spinning vertically, like which I've seen happen exactly once on a football field, like where he's he's spinning like a helicopter rotor, like John John Elway did in that film. But yeah, I, I yeah, you're right. You're or right. or yeah, and poor. and those you see those hits, and it's also like, where's everybody else? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, or well, it's the last Boy Scout, and somebody's pulling out a gun as they're playing. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. <laughs> yeah, that's it's got one of the Wayans brothers, but yeah, there's a there's a firearm in mid play. <laughs> it's not quite quite as good as Jean Claude Van Damme uh, playing goalie before defusing a bomb in a hockey match, <laughs> but it's pretty ridiculous. That sounds like something that Michael Scarn would do. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know yeah, if you I don't know if you're an, an office uh, office fanatic like I am, but. I like The Office. I wouldn't call myself a fanatic, but yeah, no, I, 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 I can get, I can get behind, I get behind that comparison. What did you think of speaking of football movies? What did you think of the UW social media video of they went and got their man? <laughs> you know, I, 
that that's the type of stuff you have to do now. And people do wanna, you? Why? Why well, do you have to do it? Uh, people want to see behind the scenes. And Are you, you gotta... sure? I don't know. <laughs> do, is anybody out there is like, hey, I'd like to see the ED in, a, in in some sort of leopard print as as they go down. I'd like to see them spell out dogs. Like, is anybody? I, I'll give him this. I liked seeing his family. I thought that was pretty cool. I liked seeing his family. I could have done without the private jet scene. Great like, kitchen coming in, coming into Fresno. <laughs> I was like, I just flew out of Fresno too. There's no, there's no great shakes there. I did. I, the, the one, like if, if you're the, the, the type of like spend thrift at the university who, who thinks that the athletic department budget is bloated. <laughs> I love that one. How much did they spend? On you, yeah. You, I could just hear people being like, so you, you needed to fly on this private plane to like present him with a two page memorandum of understanding. Like he couldn't have docu signed that and just flown up himself, you know? Yeah. But that's the part. I don't care about that part. Cause that's some rich jackass who would spend it on something way less worthwhile than I that. could, like, I could see people at, at certain people at, uh, in the academic oh, yeah. sphere caring about it though oh no they, they totally do they can they complain about it and, but i was like that's not my objection i just thought it looked corny i was just like come on like we gotta we went and got our man in fresno <laughs> was like, come on we don't want to advertise that poor fresno well that's all we've got for you this week uh when we when we come back uh, for episode nine next week maybe we'll have some uh some assistant hires to break down uh, and perhaps uh, the rest of Fresno State's roster will have jumped to the transfer portal also. Who knows? Uh, but and until maybe I'll have more geographic references to different orifices. <laughs> and yeah, and, and get get going on um, on cutting up that drop of the transfer portal. Oh, I got to get the transfer portal. I'll do that. We'll, we'll have that for next week. <laughs> we'll catch you then.